Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder. And plunder. The Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us as we blast our way through Minute 78 of Dead Man's Chest. I'm still going strong with the new descriptions, the adjectives, the verbs, if you will, depending on how we're playing that off there. I'm surprised you didn't use scuttle. Ah, damn it, I forgot scuttle. Oh, wait, there's more, maybe. Coming up, we have a bunch of other minutes, so that will surely find its way into the show somehow. you have anything else, or are you just ready to jump right in? Ready to jump in. Okay. In the previous minute, Treebeard manages to spill all the freaking details to Will Turner, ending the mystery that is Dead Man's Chest. Uh, and the key. Location of the key? Hidden. Ah, hidden. <laughs> Check. We got a location. Location of the chest? Hidden. Check. We got a uh, location for the key and the chest now. An answer, at least. What happens if the Dutchman doesn't have a captain? Answer, no one holds the key. (laughs) Very interesting. It's interesting Hmm. you called him Treebeard. It's kind of Treebeard-like. Well, if you look at his picture on um, Wikia, he looks almost exactly like Treebeard. I'd be interested to know who played Treebeard. I have to might look that up, I guess. Seems like... Wyvern, Wyvern, see yesterday's show, or Monday's show for that, basically handed the chest and key to Will on a shiny red bow platter there. (laughs) All the details. Now you just need to go get it. Wasn't anything cryptic about those answers, was there? No, not at all. Minute 78 begins with the shot of the Black Pearl on the dock at Tortuga. Jack and Gibbs are walking towards the ship as Elizabeth appears behind them and says, Captain Sparrow, causing Jack to turn around. He responds, come to join me crew, lad. Welcome aboard. Elizabeth comes back with, I'm here to find the man I love, which stops him in his tracks. The minute ends with Elizabeth and Jack in conversation. She questions Davy Jones. Norrington throws up. There you go. Oh, please. (laughs) The captain of the flying dut. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) What? Norrington throws up. (laughs) That's pretty much it. He's a heaven mess over there. Uh, Yeah. I have to admit something, though, rather embarrassing. He, He can't hold his liquor. No, he can't. That is for sure. Or his mud. It looks like he ate a lot of mud, too. Yeah. Guy's a dirty, dirty man. Yeah. What but is embarrassing? That, uh, well, you know, kind of embarrassing, maybe. But not in, the, like, the grand scheme of things. It's, like, embarrassing for the show-ish. Kind of. But I'll be honest. I never caught the Elizabeth as a lad joke before. Oh, seriously? No. This is the first time. First time for me. <laughs> first time really hearing it that I remember. <laughs> You know, like during watching this minute. 
that's when I actually understood and heard what was going on here. <laughs> because now, well, okay. First, yeah, I think it's funny now. I like it. Before, I thought it was more of an uncomfortable exchange going on. Jack thinking that Elizabeth was there to find him kind of thing. The man she loves. I thought that's why he got that weirded out look. The how did you know my secret look, you know? <laughs> that's what I thought it was about. <laughs> she likes him. He likes her. But is in denial so he can get that key and chest. You know, all that stuff. Solve the spinning compass dilemma. I thought that's what that exchange was about. Nope. After actually listening to the dialogue here, carries on the Elizabeth is a boy joke. I, I completely missed the lad. And even How? when I started to transcribe it for this, I was still in that mode. Wow. I actually wrote for that opener, come to join me crew, and I left out the lad. I completely... That's weird. Yeah. I blocked it out. I don't know. I just don't see Elizabeth as a boy. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> this is a still still an uncomfortable situation. Okay, yeah. It is still uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's a... It's not what it was, though, what I thought it was. Because he mistakes her comment for just another Tortuga guy hitting on him, you know? <laughs> right? Ah, uh, and that's why he tells Gibbs his first love is the sea. I like how he's going to let the lad down easy, though. It's nice of Jack. He's a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> let him down easy, Jack. Let him down easy. Oh, I would love to go out with you, but my first love is the sea. <laughs> When he realizes it's Elizabeth, though, he tells Gib to hide the rum. Not Gib. Gibbs. And then Gibbs holds it to his chest like it's a nice touch here. Like, <laughs> oh, I really got to hide the rum. Because he's probably heard the stories of it. Because that's what's awesome. Jack A is still, like, kind of pissed or miffed about the whole Rum Runner's Isle tragedy. The great tragedy of rum that happened there. Well, yeah, if he ever runs out of rum, he could have gone there. And then Gibbs has probably heard the story and is like... Oh, my God. Could who we would, possibly lose all the rum again? This would be a travesty. Who would ever burn rum? That's what they're thinking. But that's what I like about this. Because there's an interesting transition here with the reunion, too. It's like typical Jack fashion. Starts off with the joke. But when he sees that she's serious about her reason for being in Tortuga, looking for Will, kind of changes his demeanor a bit. Yeah. It's like it brought him back to reality. Yeah, he knows she's not playing games here. That's exactly it. Yeah. I think that was it. It's all fun and games. And then she's not having any of that fun. Changes his tune. I found it interesting that even though Jack needs all these souls for Davy Jones, he's turning away someone because he thinks they're in love with him. Was he? Well, yeah. I guess he was kind of turning him away. Or was he really no. turning him away? He told Gibbs to get rid of him. That's interesting then. But yeah, maybe he, he did kind of motion to get rid yeah. of the cut this He guy told loose. Gibbs, he gave the thumb action and told him to get rid of him. That's true. I guess he, there's priorities here. He doesn't <laughs> want to have to deal with somebody loving him. <laughs> That's complications. Exactly. That is complications. You think that he would uh, saddle that guy into the whole voyage here right? and then drop him off. I mean, with the whole thing with Jack, though, it's it's almost like he completely forgot with his original exchange with Elizabeth here kind of the joking and starting things off on that lighthearted foot because he it's almost like I'm ready ready for him to go oh yeah I almost forgot I managed to get Will imprisoned on the Flying Dutchman that's like a second thought he's not even really thinking about that yeah, stuff no I mean well he gives her the press gang excuse right the old press gang excuse yeah ah, use that one myself 
I have for an excuse. Is he is he just sitting there lying to her because he's afraid of her? <laughs> <laughs> you know the saying about a woman scorned. Exactly. That's true. Maybe that is possible. You know, he sits here and tells her this big old story about how Will was press ganged into Davy Jones's locker or Flying Dutchman, and yet he doesn't tell her the truth that he actually bargained with Davy Jones. Well, he doesn't want to do that. Because he still is now going to want to get her help or see if she's willing to help and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So he definitely doesn't want to upset that boat. And at this stage, there's no reason to piss her off at him anyways. Does he need that? Does think, he need that complication? I think she's kind of little at this point in time. Yeah, but not necessarily just at him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She knows that he has something to do with it, obviously. Right. But... He doesn't need that getting out in the open like that right away, at least at this stage. Right. And the dialogue is a bit over the top here, too, in a way. It's a big kind of Bugs Bunny thing coming out. Maybe a bit of a slapstick. Because he goes way overboard in trying to make her believe he wasn't responsible. Yeah. That's what I'm not sure about. He's giving her the really big sell here. And I'm doing a poor job at it at that stage. <laughs> Because that's the dead giveaway. If she wasn't so focused on finding Will and hearing he's on a mythical ship, she may have punched him dead in the face. Right. Just to see through that whole thing. That's also when Norrington chimes in. No, not with the vomiting. We're not talking about the vomiting. <laughs> Although he does do that. But giving us that hint of Davy Jones's legend is fairly well known amongst the people here. It's out and about in the story. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like Davy Jones... I mean, Norrington... Believes the legends of Davy Jones. He doesn't believe it, but he's heard it, though. Yeah. He has heard it. But he doesn't it. believe there's a true Davy Jones of course, and the yeah. Flying Dutchman. and Exactly. Which we've talked about before. And I guess it's he needs to see it. But he has seen other crazy stuff so far. Right. So it's not that far-fetched at this stage. No. Technically. And I think that's why Jack is, you know, really going down this road. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm a little torn on how, like, over the top it really is. That's part of it. Yeah. It just seems like it's so far down the salesman lane. You know? It, he really is. That it's just BS. Yeah. That, that's what I'm getting out of it. As you can probably see from the movement of the dock, it's a floating one. You know, where they're all standing. Not, like, built upon pilings and all that stuff here. Yeah. The, actually, this dock is amazing. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, they the way they decked it out and yeah, there's a it lot seems of so set real. Design. Yeah, yeah, looks spot on to me. <laughs> My experiences with 18th century floating docks. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, what I mean, with all from movies you've seen and stuff, you know, you see with movies and everything, the docks on there. I'm just saying that the dock, time period wise. All the stuff, the barrels and everything. There's even fruit sitting right there. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I thought it looked pretty neat. I thought they actually did a spectacular job on the set design there. Yeah. Making it look all real. Terry and Ted, when they were commenting about this scene, said it was rather dangerous for everyone because there was worry things could shift and the ships that were tied to it. Yeah. Could like move the dock or take things with it and smash oh, wow. stuff. Yeah, so... How much of that's true, I don't know, but they just said it was kind of a moving thing going on there, of course, because it's floating, it's tied to stuff, and I don't know, you know, how much and how well they did things with that right? going on. And plus, there's probably a lot of people that you just don't see from the production crew 
the film crew that are standing around off camera. So right. there's just a lot of people on a floating dock. Besides a little danger, danger is their danger will Robinson middle danger. name. Danger will Robinson danger. Whatever you want, whatever your favorite danger is. The sound mixer Lee Orloff had to deal with some crazy noise action there as well. Because you can hear all the creaking of that stuff that's happening, the wood, the docks, all of that going on in this minute. Yeah. Just seems like he was contending with a lot of that, capturing the sound, but trying to knock back all that other ambiance that's going on. So they said that was quite the struggle. Oh, really? Seems like it would be. Yeah. But what do I know? It's natural too, though. Yeah, it's good. I think you just don't want it overpowering the sound that you're trying to capture with the actors. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be like an ADR thing. They have to bring in people... They have to redo their voices. Sounds oh, off yeah. a little bit. Or you, their, their lips don't move at the same as the sound. Well, I mean, the technology is a little bit better than like <laughs> dubbing them in Japanese or something like that. <laughs> Having some Godzilla movies. You know, Johnny Depp's it and they're talking to Elizabeth. His mouth's still moving when they're done talking, that kind of thing. <laughs> Lee Orloff, he's worked with Johnny Depp and Gore Verbinski before. The first four Pirates of the Caribbean films plus Rango. They seem to all travel together. He also has a nice resume that includes some upcoming pictures like Ant-Man and the Wasp. We'll have to go see that. Marvel. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We've seen that. That we did. Marvel. And his work stretches all the way back to 1984. Wow. Exactly. But I didn't really dive much into him. I don't know why. Or maybe because what was really going on is like while I was actually watching the cool nighttime scene of the ship being loaded, the activity on the dock. One thing left to mind, actually. And no, it wasn't the makeout session with those two Tortuga. I was wondering if you seen folks. that in the background. Did I see it? Of course I did. <laughs> Blew up a picture of it, put it in the wall yeah. in the bedroom there. I was wondering, how in the hell did those tall ships depart these docks? I don't know. That's what I thought about. Like, how are they going to get out of here? That's weird. It is weird, but think about it. It's a little bit difficult. Not like a motor going on there. That's why they have tugboats. They didn't have tugboats back then. Oh, that's why they had rowing boats. That is partly it, because that's what was weighing on my mind. Yes, I do have a sickness. Let's just say that. I could have been watching the movie, but no, I was sitting there pondering, and that's going to be really difficult. But nevertheless, it did cross my mind, and there's nothing I can do about that. (laughs) So from what I found with the first of a few bits of maritime light reading for this episode, normally a tall ship that would... Like need to take on larger supplies such as guns, masks, things of that nature. Could pull into a pier using a process called warping. We need warp power now, Scotty. <laughs> Basically, this just involved tying off a line to the pier and then winding it around the capstan. You know, we talked about that before. It's that like cylindrical pulley thing of sorts with bars that stick out and everybody kind of walks around. Yeah. That's it, capstan. Lots of men would push the capstan around, the bars anyways... In a circle, then winding the rope tighter and simply pulling the ship to the pier. On the other end, though, the first thing to do before you can actually sail anywhere is to get away from the dock. Right. Makes sense. You got to get away from that thing or the pier or whatever else your ship is moored to. If the wind happens to be blowing in the right direction, you could simply just set one or two sails, cast off the mooring lines, and then allow yourself to be blown clear. Sounds like the good, easy way. Yeah. But that was rarely the case and not something that can be relied on. So, So, obviously, this is our... Maritime history boat procedure lesson or something like that. But as you were saying, by the 1830s, most large harbors used steam-driven tugs to tow sailing ships out to sea. But before that, and in smaller ports, ships actually had to use a process 
that I already said was what? That's the test. You're not even paying attention. It's warping. How dare you? Warping. The last scallywags. This is the 18th century. We don't have tugboats, like we said. So warping. It's the basic idea, as we were saying, is to pull the ship to wherever you want it to be going by like hauling a rope on that's secured to something solid, then using the capstan to wind it in or wind it out or right. however you would do that. That's the easy part. But there's nowhere to secure the other end of the rope when you're going out to open sea. You know, if right. you're bringing yeah. one rope in, it can tie to the dock wherever it's going. Right. But to get out, you had to actually pull against something. And so some genius devised this special anchor called a kedging anchor, which is carried as far from the ship as possible by a longboat, like you said, rowing out there, and then dropping the anchor to the seabed. Then the remaining crew would warp the ship out to it. By pulling the rope? Yeah, and this is hauled, basically it's hauled up and the process repeated as many times. So it would put the huh. anchor out, they would use the capstan and stuff like that to turn the ship and get it to pull in one direction. And then they'd wind themselves out to sea. Wow. Take the, guys would row out further, drop it back out, and then do the same thing. So you don't want to actually dock the boat daily? No, hell no. <laughs> hell no. That's the why ship. they, yeah, the that's why they just would uh, anchor out in the harbor or something like that. They didn't yeah. have to deal with this craziness. So as, as you can imagine, that was like a hell of a workout. It can be also really time-consuming and tiring as the ship is usually being blown in the wrong direction while the anchor is being moved. Yeah. Constantly fighting it. If you wait for the tide to be on your kind of on its way out, it might help you a bit to get on your way. And it may not be necessary to actually warp the ship all the time. But, yeah, this is just not an easy process. No. We don't really see the kind of ins and outs in the movies about these tall ships and sailing vessels having to get out to sea. Otherwise, you'd probably be sitting there for hours going, man, this is a long-ass movie just to get out of the harbor here. (laughs) But I guess we did get a little sense of it getting underway from Pelagosta. We saw them having to heave that ship out there waiting for things, or trying to anyways. So a little bravo for some realism in a movie. But, well, it's realism in a movie about mythological ships and creatures. It's kind of like that. Mm, yeah. Know. Yeah. Seems quite the process to just get the ship out there. Yep. It's not something you want to do all the time, like you said. No, you don't it's want like, to do it It's like, damn it, Captain, are we going back to the dock again? Can we just <laughs> anchor sh- out here? I'm not sure you want to do it monthly. <laughs> yeah. Tire everybody out. And then uh, also, sorry to do this to everyone, but I do have a little more history. I don't know. Something about this episode just lends itself to history. I just freaking can't help it. I was watching Norrington having a little too much to drink. Maybe you noticed it, the vomiting incident. Yes. Bent over on the dock. And when he moves, I saw these like white painted Roman numerals on the hull of the ship he was next to. Did you see that? It's the fine details. It's analyzing and scrutinizing. I've probably seen it, but it didn't. Yeah. Those those are called draft marks, actually. Okay. Which are used for determining displacement and other properties of the ship for stability and damage control. So they indicate the depth of the keel below the waterline and also help determine the minimum depth of the water like the ship can actually safely navigate oh okay so the more like cargo you put on then you can watch the water level rise because the boat you know sinks sinks a little bit more you want to call it that the reason i was interested in the marks was out of curiosity kind of like the dock thing i don't know why i was so into it i'm just like oh look at that (laughs) but i was wondering were they actually present on 18th century ships that was my question okay i just thought it was odd it seemed like a little too osha safety thing going on right yes so yes i uh do have an answer a patriotic and historical answer by the way 
So there's this little thing you might have heard of called the Revolutionary War. Maybe. Possibly out there. Well, this British officer Cornwallis intentionally sank several of his vessels along the shore to form a barrier in the Chesapeake Bay area. He's like, these crazy Yanks are coming with the French. Uh-huh. I'm going to sink some ships, make it hard for them to come in and out of the harbor, right? Yes. Blocking the entrance. Right. Well, the French and American allies ended up destroying or capturing the rest of the fleet anyways, okay? And as we think back to grade school and remember the British surrendered to General George Washington on October 19th, 1781. In one of the most decisive battles of the Revolutionary War. But that's not what I'm going for here. That's not our purposes here. The French actually were given salvage rights to Cornwallis's fleet and conducted some work between 1781 and 1782. But several vessels remained undiscovered. They were in the, the depths. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. They didn't find them. That is until the late 1970s and in doing a bit of light reading again in the International Journal of Nautical Archaeology... You know, it's a read-along. I'm sure everybody has one on their shelf. Yeah. Or on Kindle these days. Yeah, it's the future. But after a bit of excavating and studying these missing ships, they specifically found Roman numeral draft numbers were carved into the post, exactly one foot apart to mark the height above the keel. Huh. Evidence. Yeah. There you go. Draft marks on 18th century ships. Now we can all sleep a little bit easier tonight because the mystery is solved. There you go. Actual evidence. Not just written history of them doing it, but verified, written in journal, from photos, and from people there that actually saw it. Very cool. I'll take it as gold. Yep. Yeah. Now back to Norrington. Yeah, we probably didn't really cover Norrington very well, the vomiting master there. He looks like a absolute mess. He looks is like mess. crap. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, we can step back and talk about Norrington because we did kind of skip over him a bit. Because he was just... He wasn't really contributing much except for his appearance, which was really the standout for the him. puking? That was kind of, yeah, that was sound A side note? (laughs) That's a side note. But I thought he was disheveled in the Tortuga 12 Daggers Tavern. Yes. But after the pigsty incident, God, he is just filthy. That guy needs to just get in some water and wash off. Throw some water on the guy. His face looks like super white. I'm assuming that's a mud. His hair, I can no longer tell if it's actually his hair or he's still got that wig on. I think he has the wig on. Because it's just like straggly and straight now. I think it's wig action. Yeah. I think he's everything that you saw in the tavern now covered in chunky mud. Chunky mud. Yeah. (laughs) And he needs to get into some water pronto. Yeah, he needs a bath. Just jump in the ocean. Okay, it's probably cold, but it is the Caribbean, so. You'll dry quickly. Yeah. I'm sure it's a little warm out for the night. Just uh, wash off, sir. (laughs) yeah he is for somebody like norrington who would have washed himself by this point this shows you where he is in his mental state that he's okay with walking about town okay mind you he's throwing up drunk yeah that's one thing but in the old days he would have never gotten to that position and if he was dirty he'd have cleaned himself off right he wouldn't be walking around is he walking so far behind elizabeth because he smells or because he's just drunk and can't see straight. I think it's or <laughs> I think she was she's in a hurry. embarrassed. <laughs> I think she was in a hurry to catch Jack. Yeah. And he couldn't double time it at that point. No. Plus she He got double over, but yeah, not double time. Exactly. It. He's gonna double over. That's all I got, I guess, on that. I don't really have anything else. And then when Gibbs oh, you gets guess you do, okay. When Gibbs gets the rum, him and Marty quickly run up the 
the uh, ramp to the boat or they, ship. Because Elizabeth to is Riley. <laughs> That's what's important to Gibbs. It's it's rum first, then gold and riches. Yes. He needs to protect the rum. Yes. Can you imagine if Gibbs was on the island? The rum runner's aisle with Elizabeth There and wouldn't Jack. be any rum left. Well, A, he probably would have drank it all already. But yeah. just to see that, it could have given Gibbs a heart attack. Because <laughs> nobody should burn rum. No. And then uh, you see Cotton in this minute. Yeah, we and do he, see Cotton again. It's he's good got to see his, him back. his parrot on one side. And he's got a bag of goods on the other. And he's going up the ramp to load the ship. I like that he's got the parrot with him a lot. Yeah. The parrot's even there helping him as he's getting stuff. Exactly. I mean, the macaws, they need a lot of attention anyway. They do. They like to be with you all the time. Probably enjoying Oh, God, can you imagine? He's probably just loving this. Yeah. As an acting animal, he's got to be loving it. Yeah. But although he gets a lot, he's worked with a ton anyways just to be able to do this. So he's got the good parrot life because they just love that interaction with people. Yeah. So there you go. He couldn't ask for anything better. Exactly. Well, I mean, roaming the jungle's free. Well... Okay. Mind you, I'll he give wasn't, you that. Mind you, he wasn't captured. He was captive grown. A, being a captive Macaw. parrot, he's enjoying the life because he's constantly around humans. Exactly. There you go. Because I forgot. Well, in this day and age, he wouldn't have been captive bred. He would have been jungle captured. Oh, back then? Yeah. No yeah. way they were captive I thought you meant reading. now, but no, yeah, yeah. Back then is what I was talking about. Yeah. He would have been. Yes, it's interesting. He's kind of gotten used to hanging around. Doesn't want to fly off into jungle. Yeah. Hmm. He likes a human life. Yeah, there he goes. Plus, he also speaks for cotton, so he's oh. got that for him. He's that support animal. <laughs> what is that called? <laughs> what is that? Got your support macaw on your shoulder on yeah. the plane? What is that? Dang it, I can't think of what that's called. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to have a support animal that actually could speak like that. Right? Could speak your mind for you. Okay, anyways. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I may have overstepped my history welcome here. We tried to recover it at the end with some Norrington Parrot talk, but... Because I think that there's probably actually a rule about, like, the percent of a show that can actually be historical. You know, you might need to take the cat o nine tails out of the bag there, Mr. Heather. Oh, I just may. So while I feel the sting of her whip... We'll be back on Friday with minute 79 of Dead Man's Chest. Whoopah! Not whoopah, it's whoopsh! <laughs> Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling and the fake whipping sounds to a minimum, Heather. <laughs> You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions 
That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.